Let's go. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by BetSperts. The Deep Dive. Andy, we are on the eve of one of the most exciting NBA playoffs of my gambling lifetime. I think this is the most wide open I can remember it being. Um, yes, it is likely that we have kind of probably sort of maybe know who the finalists are going to be. Um, but there are great matchups in round one. Uh, <laughs> give me, give me a step back. Like give me and do this really quickly. Give me your 10 seconds answers. Like before the season started, who were your final four? Just rapid fire. Don't think about it because I think uh, we had a lot yeah. of preconceived notions. I would have said uh, Nets, Celtics, and I would have said uh, Lakers, Clippers, probably. Yeah, LA, LA. Yeah, yeah. And yet, uh, Nets, Celtics is a round one playoff series where I've already made a bet on the Nets to gentlemen's sweep. <laughs> so, so much for that prediction. Um, but anyway, we do NBA a little bit of a disservice on this podcast because we're NFL guys at heart, and we talk NFL ex- ad nauseum. Some might say, <laughs> but that's what uh, that's what the people want, and that's what we like to talk about. So that's the way it goes. Um, and thankfully, at long last, we're going to do the N- NBA a little bit of service today, uh, and we are very excited uh, to <laughs> dive deep into the world of market making in the NBA as we sit on the eve of the most exciting playoffs of the NBA uh, that I can remember. Today, we welcome the head of trading for PointsBet, NBA enthusiast, and rising star. In the gambling media landscape, Australia's own, Mr. Jay Croucher. Jay, welcome to the Deep Dive. Thanks, Drew. Looking forward to it. Andy? <laughs> I'm excited. Andy, you're, Andy, you're here Andy, also? You're, you're here. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think he can like tell already that I'm not a big NBA guy. And then, to, to be fair, I am not during the regular season, but I tune in pretty heavily for the playoffs and like seriously, some my biggest win in my gambling career again was in the nba playoffs like i it's a special place in my heart and the games are just better the series which, are great which, uh, which the game, drama game, the game seven game seven where the calves completed Cavs like beat. i had i had like seven futures sprinkled throughout like even when they were down, it was like 12 to one when they were down three one i had some of that i i had a lot of futures and then i was dumb and young and i just bet the game as well I'm like well if you can't triple down on a quadruple down you might as well just keep hitting this game so yeah like i've told that story when Kyrie hit the shot like i my i woke up my, everybody it was bad so well i i do love the nba playoffs it's head and tails so much better than the regular season i don't have to convince either of you of that but uh uh, yes, I'm very excited, and I think, you, like you said, it's going to be wide open. Yeah. We have some uh, like who would have thought the I am squirrely today? <laughs> who would have thought the you know the Sixers either both of the one seeds? Like who would have thought the one seeds would be the one seeds? Who would have thought the Lakers would be in a play-in game? Like it's it's been a lot of fun, even just the last few weeks leading up to it, and be like shit, this is going to line up funny. Yeah, yeah, and um, I for sure. Um, I can't really say that we're going to get to the end of this podcast and I'm going to have a confident take on who's going to win the title because I for sure see a wide open Western conference. 
and I think whoever comes out of the West has a damn decent shot to take on the Nets. So uh, it's going to be a super, super fun next couple of weeks as we start to get a little bit of clarity here. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten, Jay, I've gotten to know you doing um, the podcast for NBC, uh, Bet the Edge, which if you aren't subscribing to, you are missing, um, I don't know, just mountains of information and winners with that's on you, I guess. Um, but I love the uh, the Friday conversations we've had talking about the market and very, very in, inclined to learn a little bit about what goes on behind the curtain. Uh, we always talk about, uh, or at least I always talk about how one of my weaknesses as a handicapper and a player is I've never worked behind the counter. I don't really totally understand what goes into the risk management side of things. And I feel like um, every time we talk to someone who's, you know, in, in the trading side of things, I learned something valuable. So uh, excited to have you on. How did you get to this point in your career as head trader for PointsBet? Uh, and what was uh, what was it like transitioning from your home of Australia to uh, what I would call the Wild West of sports betting here in the United States? Yeah, definitely. Well, my background is actually as a lawyer um, in Australia, uh, so a pretty natural transition from uh, from lawyer to to head of trading. Um, but yeah, basically being a lawyer just kind of sucked, and uh, wanted to to get into sports, sports betting. You know, I grew up. I learned math through box scores, like I'm sure you know a lot of people did. I was always looking at sport, you know, through the angle of probability. Um, and then it was just kind of a yeah natural thing to get into sports betting. The opportunity at points bet popped up. Uh, I moved to the US with my wife and and kids um, a couple of years ago uh, to Jersey City, and now now in Denver. Uh, and yeah, it's different. It's a lot different to Australia from a gambling landscape, where you know, Australia is is all about horse racing. Um, just in terms of what occupies betting handle, whereas the US is is more about you know things in my lane like the NBA, NFL, MLB, um, obviously. So it's been fun on that front. Obviously, it's a it's a growing and still kind of nascent um, environment. But I think people, you know, gambling is becoming more part of just the the everyday of sports now, which is fun because it's it's easier to have conversations about it. More people know what a money line and a line and a total are, and I think that'll just continue to grow. Especially, you know, from where you come from, where you know we've seen, and not only Australia but Europe, you see some of those broadcasts. It's like, man, they have they have the lines right up there in these tennis matches and netball and stuff. And yeah, it, it is wild how horse racing. Oh, it's like uh, our friend Jake, uh, the business of betting. Like every fifth podcast is like some horse punter bookie from down there. <laughs> it's like, is there that many guys that do horse racing? And yeah, the the answer is yes. It, it is a whole different kind of landscape and. Obviously, Denver is a lot different than uh, anywhere you could possibly live down there. So hopefully yeah. the transition to that has been all right. But yeah, it's uh, it's got to be fun to be in more of an emerging market rather than, you know, from what I've heard, and I've never been to Australia, I've heard it's just like, you know, the market is what it is. Like it's it's established, uh, you know, everything's kind of set in place where everything is constantly changing here. So that's got to be a little more exciting too. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's something where... You know, Australia is a mature market. You know, there are so many markets in the U.S. that haven't even opened up. And just seeing the difference between, you know, certain states in the U.S., like in Colorado, table tennis for us is still the fourth highest handled sport um, for betting, whereas in New Jersey, it's like eighth. So just understanding those nuances, I'm not sure what's happening on the streets of Colorado to to keep people going back to Russian League of Pro, even with, uh, with all the major sports back. But um, that's how it is. 
<laughs> wow. Uh, that since, was... since they got a taste last summer, it's, <laughs> yeah. table tennis yeah. is the heroine of sports betting. It's, it's, it's your <laughs> you can quote me on that. I don't even know where you stream that. I, I, I uh, can find a stream of anything. I don't know where to find a stream of table tennis. That's wild. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we really brought you here to get into, which is market making in the NBA. Um, I feel like you guys, at least it's my perception, the points bet team feels like you guys really care about it, NBA. Like you're, this isn't like a casual market where you're just like, yeah, we'd like to write some tickets. This is like, no, we have opinions. Like we, you know, we really do follow this sport closely. We, we, you know, we, we take some stances here. Um, so I'm curious what a typical market cycle looks like uh, from you as the bookmaker side, as from the better side. I usually am starting to see some lines pop as we wind down the uh, the late games here on the Pacific coast. And um, usually it's like Eastern Europe first and, you know, some Russian books and the numbers are like, how do I get accounts there? <laughs> like, what is going on here? And then you start to see some pop in Europe, you know, UK and then uh, a couple pop in, uh, in the US and, and offshore. Um, but really, the market doesn't start to mature uh, in terms of sharpening the number until um, seven, eight in the morning, my time, uh, you start to see lines really start getting popped as circles come off there. Um, I noticed you guys tend to hang money line first. Um, do you use that as sort of an indicator in terms of where you're going to go with spread and total, uh, spread specifically, or, and what's, what's the strategy behind that? And how does your, uh, you know, your overall process work as you guys sit down to hang a number for a, for a given NBA slate? We do try to be first to market as, or, as close to first to market as we can be. And, and the way that process works, I guess, is first we look for if there are any lines out there in the market and we use that as kind of a uh, just as context so that we know that we're not five points off on a line. Um, and then from that, you know, we'll kind of add our own flavor on it where, you know, we'll look at, um, you know, trust the NBA traders that they're going to get in the ballpark of what the line should be um, with, you know, our internal models, with looking at historical lines, um, and then from that, we put out a number and then like the reality is, is that 24 hours out from the game, you know, limits are going to be lower um, and we're just moving aggressively off of sharp money. Um, and we know that, you know, we're, we're protected by the margin early um, and then we're just moving aggressively. And then, you know, for the most part, we just want to be up. So if we're, we're eking out a small win on those early lines, and that's good enough for us because we know that, you know, by game day, when the lines are much more settled and solid and liquid, um, that's where, you know, we expect to, to do most of our business. And, I mean, you don't have to answer this fully if you don't want to or can't, but, like, you did mention you're, lo you're looking for other lines out there, like, are you taking that into account? Because it just makes me think of the conversation we had with uh, Matthew Trenhale, and he's talking about like tennis. I think it was tennis we spoke of, and it was like some wild Czechoslovakian, which is yeah. not even a country anymore, like some Czech or you know Eastern European book that came out just way before anybody else, and you know weird limits and some other currency, and you know is there stuff going on like that in the NBA market? Because it, it's not an it is an international sport, but not to the effect of tennis, soccer, F1, anything like that. Are you seeing weird, you know, uh, offerings from other books like that that are, uh, you know, affecting you or maybe not affecting you? Now, I think it, the NBA is becoming increasingly global. So there are lines out there all over the place. And we're not just looking for lines from bookmakers either, but, you know, models that are out there and seeing what their yeah. numbers are and then kind of sure. putting it all in a pot 
and uh, and then kind of seeing what comes out. And then, you know, also just being humble um, about our line where even if we're adamant that it should be something, we're still going to be pretty quick to pull the trigger on on moving an early price off of sharps that are betting it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, There's a couple of soft books that open some numbers <laughs> here in the US that I think if your traders got to bet into them, uh, would do pretty pretty decently well just based on what I've seen your numbers open at. But we'll... We'll uh, we'll steer clear of that question a bit and uh, ask you: Do you know? Do your guys update data daily? Like, are they are they waiting for games to end so that they can get scrape the box scores, uh, clean the data themselves, or, or are they relying on you know more longer term uh, numbers in terms of player performance, team performance, et cetera? Yeah, I'd say it's a mix of both. Where you know the most interesting thing for us is just what the line closes at. Because in a way, that's more reflective of the reality between the teams and, you know, what actually happens on the court sometimes where well, that's going to be truth. And, you know, when we're pricing things like, um, you know, series markets um, where we try to be first up, um, you know, that's what we're looking at. Is we're looking at, you know, what a line closed at between these two teams playing similarly placed teams um, and then kind of extrapolating off of that. So a lot of the data is... A lot of our ratings for teams are coming off closing lines because there's so much, you know, so much liquidity and intel that's going into them. Perfect. And, and you know, yeah, and with, with the playoffs, you know, that was my big-ass point I made off the beginning, how different the playoffs are, especially from a, my, my point of view, from a viewer's point of view especially. But it, especially when you are putting these lines up, are you looking to get more information from the market than you normally would as far as, you know, putting out something at a lower limit, waiting for some some price discovery to kind of happen organically through a few bets. Is that is that something you're doing more in the playoffs or less? Uh, I'd say that in the playoffs, there are like everyone goes up pretty much straight away. As soon as the matchup is known, people are putting numbers out. Um, so everyone is going up and then it's just a matter of finding, you know, what the correct price is. Um, I think the playoff series markets were interesting in that way where they have moved around a ton, um, where our process for kind of making those is, you know, we're looking at our numbers, but then also, you know, it's me and the NBA traders just going around the table really and being like, you know, what is the price here? Um, and we were way off um, on some of them where like, I was shocked that the Knicks opened favourites as a market consensus against the Hawks. Like, we thought that the Hawks would be minus 130 um, at open. And we also, even though like, I, I like there, it, looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's shifting back. But um, at one point, the Hawks got out to kind of plus 105, which I couldn't believe. But um, the Denver-Portland series as well, it's a strange one because you know, I think that as a team, we all like Portland in that series. But we all thought that the Nuggets would be much bigger favourites in the market. So it's this balancing act between what you think the price should be and then what you think the market will will be. Um, and so we had the Nuggets as more of a kind of minus, um, getting up to minus 150. Some of, some of us in the team had them. Um, and now that, that series is pretty close to pick. Um, so that's, that's a really strange one because... You know, so many of the ratings are distorted by Murray going out and and what that means and, and the fact that the Nuggets, they played so well without him to end the season, but how much of that is really sustainable and how much is that just beating up on teams at the end of the season? Yeah, all very fair questions, and we will get into those specifically yeah. with you in a moment. <laughs> you were, and, and you were not the only one to be surprised by the Knicks price. Like some of the numbers that were getting thrown around by our, our NBA chat, 
they were a much bigger yeah. number in the mix. Like we, uh, yeah. we were certainly surprised at what that opened at. As My well. two biggest takeaways from your what we've gotten so far are: if you're an NBA handicapper, don't wait to see prices. Take the closes. Come up with your own numbers beforehand. That if you you already have the information that the traders are going to eventually hang. The only things that are going to tweak what you're going to really see between the closes of the previous day and the openers coming out are key injuries something crazy happens in some game you know where some team is playing uh you know or you know making a couple of small you know situational adjustments if you think they're warranted uh so there's really no reason to wait once you have the closing numbers before you start to make your own form your own opinions about what the fair price should be second key takeaway was we do basically what you guys the traders do we have you know a couple of dozen active nba daily handicappers we talk to and we throw prices out there and and you know bat them around they're like oh no i would have said fair was this i would have said fair was this on this series and then sure enough like uh you know you can kind of gauge just from the people with the pulse uh, this is going to go this way. This is going to go this way. Uh, and, you know, I guess in that process and just just generally with, um, you know, with respect to NBA series prices, if there's aggressive betting action, that there's people who are, you know, who have strong opinions about this, uh, you know, coming into market, making limit plays, um, you know, are these your standard NBA everyday handicappers that are coming back and really hitting the series price hard as opposed to just waiting to bet game by game on these series? It is a different kind of better. It's generally going to be a sharper better betting on the series prices just because betting on a series price shows a degree of patience and waiting for the bet to settle. Um, whereas, you know, betters who are betting, you know, 30 minutes from tip, um, there's going to be, obviously, that shows less patience. Um, but, yeah, it is different. Uh, and that's why we are pretty aggressive to move series prices. But at the same time, like we do have confidence. Often we have more confidence in our series prices than our game-to-game prices just because there's more, um, you, you know, a series is going to unfold over a longer sample. Um, and if we have Sharps pounding, you know, the Knicks, say that we, we put the Knicks at minus 125 in that series, if we have Sharps pounding that, then um, we're going to be pretty reluctant to move the price too far beyond that. Um, but surprisingly, Sharps haven't really pounded the Knicks anyway, so we haven't had to deal with it. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of the process. Real quick, so then is it totally decoupled between what a game in, you know game one probability would be and what your series price is going to be? No, it's a, there is definitely a strong link. Um, and often the series price is just going to be taken from implied probabilities um, of the games. I think the thinking about the Lakers, though, a team like that completely kind of destroys that notion in a way where – um, you know, the Lakers, they're minus five and a half against Golden State, you know, in LA. And then a couple of weeks ago, Golden State played uh, home to Phoenix and Phoenix were four and a half point favourites in Golden State. Um, but we would still have the Lakers very clear favourites over Phoenix. But yeah. for the most part, the series prices, they're going to be derived from the, the, the game by game probabilities. But in terms of our confidence in pricing them we we're more confident probably pricing um series markets in a way than random you know regular season nba games yeah that makes just a bit bigger sample you're, i mean you're getting a series and it, it does kind of sound like you know the the correlation between money lines and spreads it's they're correlated but they're individual markets and you know yeah. the same is going to go for that series price and the individual games there is some like you said there's some coupling but you can't just wildly adjust because you're taking a bunch of money in a series price which and it's funny, like you do say that the people don't show the patience. People love a Super Bowl future. 
Like they'll bet on their favorite team out in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. Wait 10 months. But yeah, the average rec better will not bet a series price because I don't want to wait a week. It's, yeah. uh, you don't see a ton of that. Hey, exactly. great, great question I want to bring up for one of yes. our listeners. Uh, what does the conversation look like when your team disagrees on where to open a line? Are there stats or information that is weighed heavier in those instances? And I would even say, are there opinions that are weighed heavier? Like, you know, this guy's got a great read on the freaking Suns. We can't go against his his line here. Or, uh, you know, this guy, <laughs> this guy's on a flat out heater. He's <laughs> seeing the board so well. He knows exactly <laughs> where the betters are going to bet. Like, we got to listen to him. Like, like, how does that conversation get go internally? There was a lot of back and forth. I think that, you know, in terms of the Denver and Portland series, it's probably a good example where, you know, one of our traders had um, Denver minus 150 in the series and then another had Denver minus 125. And then the trader who was more bullish on Portland goes into how, you know, since Nurkic came back at the end of March, the Blazers, I think they have the third best net rating in the league. Their defense, which has been horrible all season with Nurkic and Powell is actually elite. Um, and then so much of the <laughs> so much of the hype around the Nuggets. Make it a very good case. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that, like I don't even know this guy and he's convinced me. <laughs> yeah. And then well, and it's yeah, it's like Drew said too, the you know, we don't have any experience on that side of the counter. And it's like, that would be, I would just want to work there for like a week just to see a couple of those. <laughs> like, that's what I want to see that conversation, a couple of traders going at it. And like, I mean, it's like a debate team in high school, essentially. You make, make your case. Otherwise we can't go with it. Exactly. And it is, in the end, it's kind of, it is a debate and then it's majority wins basically. Yep. And okay. then there's usually, there's usually a consensus that will form. It's not, it doesn't typically end up with a trader's adamant that everyone else is wrong. <laughs> no one's so that. prideful that they're like, no, my number is right. Yeah, but uh, there's probably a little bit of scoreboard scorekeeping among oh, traders. Sure. Yeah, well, no. it's like, oh yeah, Portland, Portland should have been favored, huh? Oh, okay, yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I think that uh, that sounds like a super. Uh, you know, fun back and forth and would love to be a fly on the wall for that. Um, how did you guys treat, uh, you know, certain games, certain, you know, certain series where there are huge injury question marks? You know, do you kind of do a little bit of, you know, tap dancing around, hanging those numbers, a little, little bit more caution in terms of uh, how willing you're be willing to be in terms of aggressive moving? I mean, because I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of inside information that gets leaked about NBA injuries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the series where that will manifest more is going to be, um, you know, the series that aren't determined yet with involving the Lakers and then the Jazz um, with Donovan Mitchell. And then like LeBron's ankle, uh, when that Golden State Lakers line got down to four, that told me that there was something wrong with LeBron um, because LeBron and AD at home against Golden State um, who have snuck into the eighth seed and the Lakers only being a four-point favourite, that just suggests something's wrong. The fact that he's re-injured it twice and that he didn't come back uh, as scheduled in that game against the Knicks or the next night initially, uh, there's a lot swirling around LeBron. And so that's that's the difficulty in... Because even if they if they win tonight and they get Phoenix, you know, as we expect, um, so much of that price is going to depend on how LeBron looks, where... That price could be anywhere from, um, you know, potentially minus 140 to minus um, 250 against Phoenix. Uh, wow. And it just all depends on on how they look 
really. <laughs> if they blow out Golden State by 25, then all of a sudden that changes the entire complexion of the playoffs. Do you do you have lines up for that? Like, <laughs> do you, do you ever do that with look aheads? You know, like we still have to decide who's playing. But like, I, if I went to points bet right now, is there a lineup for you know the Lakers in that uh, hypothetical game that would occur? Yeah, often or, I mean, we are, are you ready? I mean, if, and if it's not, are you completely ready to to line that if if everything goes according to plan? Yeah, so it's more behind the scenes in that we're preparing for what we think the given lines will be. Um, so, for instance, you know, I would say that the best guess is that the Lakers would be on average around minus 200 against Phoenix. Um, and then but we're prepared that if it's Golden State, then Phoenix will be in the probably minus 250 range against Golden State. And, you know, these are numbers I'm just throwing out there. We'd go back and forth and do the roundtable to further refine them. But that's what we're kind of doing is we're preparing um, for what we think the ballpark will be uh, and then the games and the injury news and the further discussion will get us to the point where we're comfortable going up with a number. Boy. I think you're muted there, Drew. You are muted. Well, I was you muted. Know, yeah, you, you did. And you brought this up too. You said, well, and you said it's a different kind of better betting the series prices, which, you know, totally makes sense just logically. But in general – the handle you're going to get, I mean, how much bigger is it for the playoffs just because it's yeah. the playoffs? And is it a different, again, the same kind of question, is it a different brand of better you're seeing? <laughs> and, and you know, are you are you moving differently based on the fact that you, you might take really heavy volume on a team, but it's like, uh, it's the playoffs and this is all rec money. Like, do we, you know, are we treating it as uh, we took twice the handle on this game and we normally would, and we're not going to be quite as reactive because it's just twice as much rec money? You know, is it is it completely different as far as how you're moving based on handle and where it's coming from here? We basically never move prices based on weight of money, just solely weight of money, weight of recreational money. Like on the in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl, like around like almost ninety five percent of our handle was on Kansas City, and we didn't move the line because we're comfortable with the line. Yet, you know, that's a extreme example because it's the Super Bowl and it's such a liquid market. But at the same time, like. You only really need to be moving a line based on weight of money if you're worried about the result putting the company out of business. Because um, <laughs> you're gonna keep you get to keep writing bets. You know, even if yeah. the decision doesn't go your way, those yeah. guys are coming right back the next day. They're gonna put that money right back in the pools. Um, what about the what about sort of the um, liability of being off market? Is that Change, is that part of your decision making on something like that as well? Like you don't want to be the guys that are hanging Lakers minus four when everybody else out there has five and a half. Yeah, we don't. No, we did, we're generally just looking to get the best price based on everything um, that's available to us, and then we just live and die with that price at the end. Occasionally, we will go off market in really kind of rare circumstances. And that's not usually going to be game to game. It'll more be with less liquid markets like sure. player awards markets. Yeah, like um, six man of the year sort of stuff. Yeah, like six man of the year where we offered best price in the universe, Jordan uh. Clarkson, uh, all season long. And hopefully that's that's coming in our favor now, though it's, uh, it's not home yet by any means for, for Mr. What, Joe Ingalls. What's the current temperature in the uh, trading room on that one? It's hot. 
it's hot. It's been hot for a while. <laughs> just not so much that people are worried, more that people are anxious. Um, we did take a really strong position. We've actually, this is true, right now we have um, our traders listening to Italian podcasts, trying to translate Italian. Um, the guy listening doesn't understand Italian. He's just taking his best guess because there is an Italian voter for six man of the year. Um, so that's the level that we're going to um, for this six man of the year market at the moment. Gorlami. <laughs> yeah that uh that's wild it, it's like oh it's like when we talked to dylan you know we we did a, an interview with the bookmaker uh for the draft and just some of the stuff that you guys have to do like you just sitting there searching twitter constantly looking for draft news and stuff like it's if you don't stay ahead of something you're gonna get but well, so like you said you're worried about the company getting uh going under <laughs> like not not to that extreme but if you're not staying on top of stuff things go uh poorly for you Mm -hmm. it's, it's mainly with the lower tier stuff um, where, you know, there are, there's news of, you know, an entire team being sick and about to pull out. Um, there was a Copa Libertadores game, I think, yesterday where, where that came into play and all the time <laughs> you're, you're still, right, I'm sure. yeah, scrounging through Spanish, uh, Spanish language Twitter trying to find out what's happening to reserve goalkeepers. Um, yeah, that's kind of the weirder side of trading. Nothing will top with the oh. uh, the mosque the uh, the t the Russian uh, uh, series series one last year during the pandemic when the entire senior they team played got like COVID and they, <laughs> they dropped it out the fourteen year olds. Yeah, no, well, even you know, those, those played the game. South, South America's wild. There was a game where they op a bunch of places opened and then like ten starters on the other team had COVID and that line. Was and it's funny too. The, all the closing line value in the world that game ended in a draw. So, hmm. <laughs> um, the uh, so so in general, as in summary, you basically all the action that you write, sort of the last hour before tip in the NBA, you assume is plus EV for the house, and and sometimes you'll take a stand where you'll be lopsided and you'll you won't move the number. Um, have you have you gone through any cycles where you're like that happens a couple nights in a row or a couple of times in a row on the same team and you take the worst of it and you're like all right guys something something's going on here like you know have you gone through any of those in this season in particular? Uh, not so much this season. Like the the last hour before t before tip um, is just so liquid and so reliable um, for closing prices. Uh, where unless there's injury news in that last hour that is really all of a sudden moving the market, uh, we're generally just going to, to stay pretty close to the consensus with maybe some tweaks. But there is one example actually where we did depart completely from market um, an hour before tip or in the hour um, leading up where it was in the finals actually in uh, the Toronto Golden State finals game three where Clay Thompson all of a sudden gets ruled out, I think, 45 minutes before tip. And the Warriors were still, I think, two and a half, three-point favourites against Toronto without uh, without Durant, without Clay Thompson. And their team was basically Steph Curry, Draymond Green, ageing Andre Iguodala. I think they might have started Alfonso McKinney. And, uh, and our traders, we just couldn't believe it. That, that wasn't Andrew Bogut still? Maybe, maybe some Looney? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely no. some Looney involved. Uh, or Demarcus Cousins was also involved. Oh, he became a big, big part of that game, and so that was one where we departed from the market and we just went, you know, point out the worst price in the world um, on Toronto because we just could not believe that. And that's, you know, yes, that is the hour before tip, but at the same time, like that is injury news affected, so it's not actually 
that liquid of a market the moment it happens because everyone is kind of yeah, freaking out because Clay Thompson's all of a sudden been ruled out in a finals game. So that's probably the biggest one where you know we did take a big stance there. Yeah, spoiler alert, uh, Toronto went wire, wire, wire to wire in that one. So that was, uh, that was the right call, I think. Uh, yeah, wow. Steph Curry, Draymond, Andre Godala, DeMarcus Cousins, who was one for seven from the field, <laughs> minus 12. <laughs> it's Sean Livingston got the start, interestingly. Oh, uh, wait. We're not, we're not always right on that. I thought the Rams were a lock at plus two and a half in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. So that didn't work out so well. Jared, but, Goff, uh, Jared Goff and Bill Belichick, that that didn't. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I believed, <laughs> believed in Goff after what he did in New Orleans the two weeks before. It turned out that was a bad call. That was Sean Payton's fault, and it was yeah. the referee's <laughs> fault for that game and the Rams winning and even being there. That's my opinion. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about some series in particular. Uh, or actually, I, I'm just, I, I guess, just to kind of put a bow before we move on, on on handle discussions. What is a handle like tonight as a multiplier for uh, Lakers-Warriors relative to just a random Wednesday Lakers-Warriors game in the month of February? Yeah, so I think the last night's game give an indication, although to be fair, Charlotte, Indiana doesn't give a great indication for Golden State Lakers. But <laughs> even still, you know, the games last night were between three to four X normal regular season games. And I would expect based on the money that's come in and the money that'll still come in, Golden State Lakers, it'll probably be around around six X. This will be our highest handle game of the season. Um, it's just perfect, really. Yeah. LeBron, Steph, 2016 finals, rematch, revenge. It's just a shame that it's not It's not do or die. I think this would have been so much fun as the next game, but it's still pretty good. Uh, it's the yeah. first play-in. Don't care what LeBron says. The play-in's great. Uh, I think this game's proof of it. Yeah, it does feel like the winner of uh, San Antonio Memphis right now is drawing dead. So I get that point, but uh, yeah. that's, fi- that's wild. So six, X, six, six times multiplier. Oof. it's funny it doesn't even have to be a marquee game to be a marquee game just because of what it is like i'm excited a lot like i I joked about sleeping through this but i'll probably end up (laughs) staying up late i wish they would make it a little earlier but yeah like i'm jacked for this i'm excited to see i'd like to see the lakers lose actually i don't know how you feel about that from your your risk standpoint but it would just be i just think it would be funny because of lebron but uh, as someone who makes numbers the idea of making a number for suns lakers is a a lot more appealing to me than making a number for jazz lakers jazz lakers has a lot more uncertainty um where and similarly jazz warriors i feel like i already know what that number is don't don't sweat this but but (laughs) i uh i wouldn't feel that way about lakers lakers jazz that's a tough one um so what the yeah we got uncertainty on both sides with mitchell and Hmm. you know and lebron and 80 i mean that that's that's nasty i don't think you want anybody (laughs) but anyway um and also i don't think as fans of the sport and people who would like the casual betters to stay in the betting space. Let's keep the Lakers around for a little while, all right? Yeah, is, is I, I do have some, let's, keep, let's keep the Lakers around for a month at least, right? I was gonna say I do have some <laughs> stupid like little promo bets from like uh, last fall on the Lakers to win the title, mm-hmm. which I'm not feeling great about. But I, I guess I shouldn't cheer against my own bets at this point. Yeah. I, uh, I thought of one other but, important question before we talk. We close the book on handle uh, in a playoff game. Uh, what's your expectation for proportion of the handle that comes in in the last hour? versus proportion of the handle that you get in the first 23. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's significant and it depends on which betters show up, but, you know, it can be as much as, as 50% of the handle. You know, you see that actually more. There's a probably a bigger proportion of handle that comes in. A bigger proportion of handle will generally come in um, leading up to tip of regular season games. Okay. That's the same reason that, um, you know, there'll be more pre-match um, handle uh, on, you know, really well-known events. Um, for instance, like with an NBA playoff game, there's so much time to digest that matchup and to think about it um, and to allocate basically just mental resources to the game. That's why money often can come in earlier, whereas, um, you know, with just a random uh, Charlotte-Minnesota game, there's probably not going to be that much thought into it, uh, kind of, you know, 24 hours out and then all of a sudden it's there and it's something to bet on, 60 minutes to go and... Let's bet on the mellow ball and, and that type of thing. So, um, but yeah, that that's basically what it looks like. Ah, oh, fascinating, All dude. Right. And, and you All said right. that was the last one on handle, but now it, it makes me think of like the Sunday night football phenomenon. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I'm sure you and just yeah, just nod along with me on this one. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you end up with stupid stuff like that where it's like, yeah, this is this is a standalone game. It's the late game. It's like a get back game. It's a Sunday afternoon game. I'm I'm sure there's just dumb handle on like awful games like that. Like oh, it's 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 Minnesota and the Bulls. And we're taking a lot of handle because it's at a weird time, which is just blows that, that just speak. It, I mean, it speaks to the appetite for the recreational gambler just to have some, you know, action on a game to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much about the time slot with handle where, you know, last week um, in the Premier League, like a Southampton game was our highest handle game of the week or in the top two just because it was in a perfect time slot on a Saturday morning as an isolated nationally televised game. And that's what that's what has it, you know, take more money than Chelsea Arsenal. Wow. Okay. So I so I what part of your process as a trader is okay, what's the sports schedule look like this week? What are oh, people going to be watching? And is there is there a premier time slot for ten table tennis? <laughs> to, to, to call back the premier uh, time slot for table tennis is like 3 a.m. 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah. basically that. Yeah, Excellent. but no, it's mainly it's working closely with the marketing content teams around you know just promoting you know what games we expect will take more handle. Um, Lakers Warriors obviously speaks for itself, but but yeah, sometimes uh, Southampton you need to uh, to study in advance. Interesting. Okay. Um, speaking of Lakers Warriors, um, what kind of consensus did you come up with in the trading room for how to deal with the home court advantage in the plan and in the playoffs broadly, uh, as well as adjustments for totals reflecting kind of a playoff defense and pace expectation? So on totals and pace, so generally from the regular season to game one of a playoff series, you usually lose two possessions. Right. It gets lower, and then two possessions is you know two point two points off a total. But the really interesting thing is what happens throughout the series. And from game one to game seven, you lose four possessions uh, per game because I think, and there's a lot of kind of theories behind this, but I think teams switch more um, as series goes on. Teams, there's more scouting of teams' actions, and they're shutting them down, so you're getting deeper into the shot clock, um, all that type of thing, and so. The difference between a regular season game and a game seven is six possessions, which is really significant. And that's why game sevens, they are kind of, you know, they're described as wars and slogs and they are, uh, and it's proven in the numbers. So that's that's where we land with totals. And then with home court, 
that's more difficult and, and kind of less scientific at this point just because we don't have a huge sample of what 7,000 capacity crowds do to align. Our best guess at the moment is that, you know, empty stadiums, your home court, and it'll vary by team, but as a general rule, it's between one and one and a half points. And then with, you know, some capacity, say, you know, 40%, 50% capacity, that bumps it to, you know, one and a half to two points off of the usual kind of three-point favourite. <laughs> and then teams like Denver and Utah are obviously going to retain even more of an advantage with the altitude. Right. Yeah. Andy, you some you watched, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Andy, you watched those games last night. Yeah. Did it feel like home court mattered? Uh, a lot. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and I, I think it's going to vary. And I think, like, you know, you speak the altitude, but I think it's going to vary not only by, like, how many fans you have, but where you're at. Like, Christ, the garden is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we do. We're floating some theories out there. And I've heard this actually from several smart people saying, like, you go through all these games – and we're speaking of the referees, the officials, where there's yeah. nobody yelling at you except, you know, the the the, mm -hmm. the players or coaches. And then all of a sudden you go to, you know, even like 30% capacity, and there's like this instant regression, almost an overreaction be like to reacting to the crowds. Like, oh, my God, the, the, the home whistle is back in a big way. I don't know if you guys have it seen anything like, it like in that. In Boston. In Boston, oh my, yeah. it felt like the, it. I, I think true. When we get to the Hawks series, it's gonna be it's gonna feel like they have you know more than capacity <laughs> in in the garden right away. Yeah, yeah. I'm betting on the next game one on that thesis period. My fair price pretty close to market. My just home home court adjustment higher than market higher than market on for game one for that next. Especially because you have a, a Hawks team that hasn't played a playoff game. You know, yeah, all these think, young kids in the garden. Come on, they're, they're going to give you. Yeah. They're going to give you an A effort and get on the court and yeah. stare at Spike Lee. See how you play. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting because yeah, I thought. I mean, I'm, I'm much higher on the Hawks than the Knicks in general, and you know, I think an interesting kind of thought exercise is that both the Knicks and the Hawks played Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, or about a week apart. I think um, all those teams were basically at full strength. Um, and so the Hawks were uh, Pickham against Phoenix. Um, Phoenix were rested. And then Phoenix, they played New York in the garden and Phoenix on a back-to-back -back with two-and-a-half-point favourites against the Knicks in the garden, which suggests that the Hawks are around two-and-a-half to three points better than the Knicks. And that's not perfect because there's so much noise in that. And But that's just as a general baseline. But then the Knicks are one-and-a-half-point favourites home to the Hawks, which suggests that, the, the garden factor is is really significant. Yeah, I think also that there might have been a couple of wrinkles in that uh, that oh, um, <clears throat> Suns Knicks game um, in particular. That Suns were the right side for a couple of reasons, but that's uh, my opinion. Um, yeah. The um, the the general um, yeah the general home court discussion I do think is going to lend some edge to home teams, particularly the ones with you know, meaningful crowd you know, impact and even altitude, uh, especially early in these playoffs. And it's going to be fast to see how the market adjusts. It was pretty, uh, very memorable betting experience last year in the bubble games, one and two of the restart or, you know, for every team, it was basically the unders were there. The totals were like 20 points too low. And it was like, why, why did they make these totals so low? And it was like, there's not going to be any distractions. The shooting could be outrageous. They're, why are, are these teams, do we even know if they're going to try on defense? And um, that took about, 
I think it took about three days for like a real meaningful adjustment on those totals before uh, the party was over there. But I'll, I think game day one was a little bit of a misdirect. And then day two was a Saturday and there were like eight games and it was like round robin them and they all hit. It was um, <laughs> unbelievable on the, on the overs. Anyway, <clears throat> let's get into the nitty gritty on a couple of these series. And let's start with one that I think a lot of people have drawn most interest of sort of the recreational better. And I think for fair reason, uh, it is a very memorable rematch of the Eastern Conference semifinals in which I burned an enormous pile of my bankroll, um, going back to the well over and over and over again, <laughs> thinking that the bucks were uh, a fair price, uh, higher than market. And I don't know why I have felt in any way, shape or form, um, confident that Budenholzer was going to finally make an adjustment for the first time in his career. Uh, lo and behold, he didn't. Uh, and the Bucks lost. People pointed to rotation wasn't short enough. Blah, blah, blah. I, it was very straightforward. He got his he got his lunch handed to him from a coaching standpoint by Spolstra and what they were doing on the court, I thought. Uh, and I think that has really led to a lot of people kind of looking across all of the series in round one and saying, well, I want to back, a, you know, I'm not going to pick chalk. There's one of these underdogs is going to, Oh, it's the, it's the heat, the heat. They beat the bucks last year. I remember that I might've even won some money on that, you know, and I'm, I'm is, is my kind of read of sort of the, uh, the general opinion of the average sports better fair here. And has that infected, you know, affected the, the way that the market in the series line in particular has shaped because I got to tell you, this game one where the Bucks are five point favorites seems a hair short. And I'm not sure if I can exactly put my finger on why. I'm on your side with that, Drew. I think the, the issue with this series, and it was the same as last year, is that it's so difficult to quantify coaching. And for this series, it's so difficult to quantify what Budenholzer has learned from being put in a clown suit last year by Spolstra. Uh, and Look, I think that the Bucks are different this year. They've trialed a lot more switching. They're much more versatile. Having Holiday in for Bledsoe um, in the playoffs, I think, is much more valuable than the depth that they've lost. Um, when you consider they also, you know, have picked up PJ Tucker, DiVincenzo's gotten better. Uh, and the Heat, the Heat just not that good <laughs> this year, really. <laughs> um, they're just yeah. not. And, you know, and it was the same last, last year as well during the regular season. Um, where I think we were kind of taking on Miami each round of the Eastern Conference for, um, playoffs and were burnt three rounds in a row. But I think the thing with Miami last season is that just the they were a new team in the bubble because they had guys like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson who had basically had off-seasons to yeah. improve. And then they came back new players and Dragic was playing at an all-star level, which he's not out at the moment. They had Jay Crowder, who's a lot better than Trevor Ariza. And I think that this is just, it's a different, it's a different landscape for this series. The reason the price on Miami is relatively short is for the reasons you said that, you know, people, people are backing Miami. And there's also just not that much of an appetite for Sharps on the other side for Milwaukee because the price is still, you know, it's still minus 275. It's fairly short. And there's just apprehension around Budenholzer, I think. Yeah, there might be some some NBA sharps that are not willing to get involved in this series at all. In fact. <laughs> <laughs> you you like, talk yeah. about people having, you know, the whatever bias you want to call it, just that that 
confirmation bias from last year. Like, oh, I made so much money on the Heat last year. That's such a good playoff team. Butler's going to be playing all these games. You have the exact opposite. We're like, you know, fuck the Bucks. Like, they, they <laughs> bet me over and took all this yeah. money from me last year. Like, it do, it's it's hard because it does affect you. Yeah, no. I mean, my my general my opinion of the Heat was very and, and of the Bucks. Uh, you, you your points are completely fair about the Bucks improvements, but still, like time and again, Bucks play the Lakers. What do they do? They give up just gross wide open three pointer after wide open three pointer. The Lakers aren't even trying to get to the rim, and that every fake out they just crash in the lane. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like they're obviously playing for the three point shot, and you're you're giving it to them, and it was just destroying them. And then on the flip side, you put a little bit of defense on their transition. And you take away that part of their game and force them to run half-court offense. And the offensive efficiency just absolutely tanks. And so it's like, well, Budenholzer hasn't learned anything. Like, he's, you know, the, like the blueprint of how to beat this team is still right there for the taking. And, oh, by the way, who did it? It was the Heat last year. You know, and so I, I get why, uh, you know, if the Heat were playing anywhere close to the level we saw from them in the, in the bubble, that they would be the side. But you're absolutely right. We haven't seen it. And I went pretty hard to the wall, expecting the Heat to be able to win the Southeast, um, you know, midseason as they were finally getting healthy and getting guys back from COVID did not come to fruition. Uh, and I thought they were going to be sort of the the outsider darling that had a chance to challenge the Nets in the Eastern Conference. I do not think that now. Um, and I I will be damned if I got buried by the Heat last year backing the Bucks, and then flip sides to the Heat this year and get buried by the Bucks backing the Heat. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the worst. That's the worst feeling in the world. So easy series for me to pass, even though I think fair of price game in game out for the Bucks is probably a bet on. Yeah, I think there's just something wrong this year with the Heat in that. There's just a lot of Trevor Razor and Kendrick Nunn going on with this team that there wasn't <laughs> last season. And there is obviously a stench around the Bucs that what they've done in the playoffs with those failures uh, being being the one seed two years in a row. And then also uh, just, you know, you watch Bucks games and it, it becomes the Chris Middleton uh, mid-range pull-up show um, at end of games. And, and it's much more difficult for, you know, Giannis to create and, Whatever that actually means in terms of analytics, that is what stands in the minds of betters, and that's why that you know people are, are largely staying away from the Bucks price, even if it offers a smidge of value, perhaps. Yeah, if the Bucks finally put it together, and it, all it might take is Giannis getting a, a, a regular season whistle in a playoff series, and they might be good enough to get you know past a, a true contender in the East. But if they do it, it's going to be without me, and that's I'm I've come to, I've come to, I've come to peace with that. There's, <laughs> there's peace. other I'm other games to bet on. You know, just yeah, you'll yeah. you'll find something to gamble on. <laughs> I'll I'll let you expound a little on this coaching uh, question that you put together, but it kind of makes me think about again. Like you got Drew handling NBA all day, every day. You got casual Andy who's excited about the playoffs. And I get to think about coaching and yeah, Tibbs comes to mind right away because it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Timberwolves fan. You know, how I feel about Thibodeau, like the guy's a bum, but you know, <laughs> and, and I wonder too, with, uh, you know, Monty and Quinn too, with all this, the steam and heat and the excitement about these guys. Like, Oh, these are elite coaches now. And look what they've done. Like, are, are you having to make adjustments? Are you seeing silly adjustments in the market? And then, you know, 
you know, Drew is asking between Nate and Tibbs and the, the actual series, like, if, is there an actual, if, you know, will coaching play into some of the expectations there? But I mean, are you guys personally, that's, you know, overarching, are you doing anything with coaching as it goes through the season or even into the playoffs here? It's tough. <laughs> The difficult thing is just separating what works for a coach in the regular season versus the playoffs. I think McMillan is a good example of that where obviously you know, he's done a great job with Atlanta. He's also been horrible in the playoffs um, with a lack of adjustments previously. Thibodeau as well has the reputation of a, of a regular season coach. Um, you know, the, the guys who have really made adjustments you know, in the playoffs previously are coaches like Rick Carlisle, like Eric Spolstra, where maybe they get a boost, but it's very difficult to project just in a given series. Like Ty Lu was incredible in the 2016 finals. He pulled every, you know, correct lever. But Andy I don't knows. think he, Yeah. <laughs> he's uh he's not he's not thought of in the same breath as Carlisle or Spolstra as a playoff coach, certainly. Uh, and even, you know, last year when Quinn Snyder uh, went up against Michael Malone, I think everyone would kind of consider Snyder to be the better coach, but Malone probably got the better of him in that series uh, with the adjustments that were made, though at the same time, if Conley's three rims in in game seven, maybe that isn't the yeah. kind of takeaway. Yeah. But Here it's very difficult to factor in. Freaking massive, too. I don't know you can give Malone credit for the adjustment of, oh, Gary Harris is healthy. We have a plan so sure. to play defense. Oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the thing, too. Like some teams just have the roster that's set up like, oh, I don't even have to think about how to set up my playoff rotations. Look at my effing roster. It's kind of, it's set already. Like <laughs> I'm going to make these small adjustments that any decent fan of the NBA could make. And like, we're going to play yeah. this guy more, play this guy less. Yeah. And it's going to work. Like sometimes it does come down to like, oh, the roster's there. And, and, you know, a good coach can have, you know, a roster that might not be as, you know, uh, able to make those adjustments because you know the the big adjustment is your your rotations for the playoffs and you you do i mean you still see coaches like man you had the roster to do this and you you bottled it yeah. i think i almost i almost treat coaching in any sport more as a negative than a positive like everybody knows the good coaches are good like you don't have to tell me these good nfl coaches are top five coaches like a lot of times we attack guys that like this guy can't make adjustments against this kind of offense or you know whatever like i i'd rather attack the bad coaches like some of the guys that you picked on there for sure yeah, like is even as good. Even I've heard people make the case that Brad Stevens has the advantage, coaching advantage over Steve Nash. And number one, we don't know that. And number two, was, I don't think Steve Nash is really sitting up late at night like, oh man, my end of game didn't work. My end of game offense was poor. I think I'm going to go from uh, Durant has the ball to Harden has the ball. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Like, okay, uh, y like yeah, like you don't need to be you know a PhD in basketball science to be able to come up with those adjustments. But and on the flip side. Uh, if if the you know if the Nets decide to play zone defense, Brad Stevens still hasn't solved that. We're still <laughs> waiting for the answer, Brad. Brad, zone defense. What are you going to do, buddy? Uh, he just sits there and scratches his head. So you know, I I think Andy's point is correct that there are kind of specific coaching limitations that hold teams back. Maybe more so than good coaching helps give teams an advantage. And then similarly, I would almost say. Coaching to me, at least, matters more in like the fabric of a series than it does in the like the preseason, you know, pre uh, pre series pricing of win probability, right? Like, like in the adjustment standpoint, like if things are going sideways for you know for the Heat in Game One and Two, is Spolster going to have a couple of good advantage, you know, good good tricks up his sleeve to get the Heat back in it in Game Three? Yes, 
He is. I can I can pretty much promise you he's going to have some surprises. It'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Um, you know, and 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 I, I think those types of things that you can use within a series to kind of catch the highs and lows is is probably a more effective way to use coaching. Um, and I guess you know, do you think of uh, you know when you're putting together a series price or even thinking of okay, I think this is the right team in this series. Um, are you thinking of like how the series is going to evolve if this goes the distance? It's just so difficult to project, you know, what the series will look like and what adjustments are needed. And I think you're right that coaching is more about the in-series adjustments and often that adjustment is just going small and switching more. But <laughs> often it's, I mean, you're right about Stevens and switching. Like it, they lost those two games against Miami, the first two games, because they couldn't figure out the zone and then they got better at it and then neutralized it somewhat. But it's just difficult to price in, uh, you know, Brad Stevens won't be able to figure out his own <laughs> or he will adjust his own. Like it's just too difficult and you just kind of have to resort to, to the team's underlying numbers. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, as you look at, uh, and just by the way, kind of, Last, you know, we, we've talked about the Nets Hawks pretty in detail here. That's probably one of the more interesting series. It sounds like you guys are uh, are pretty excited about your. You get, are you getting some decent action on the Knicks, and you're happy with your number? Yeah, most of our handle is on the Knicks. We're happy with that. I think that the Hawks just they haven't really been whole all season. But when you know any combination of their top five guys in Trey, Capella, Collins, uh, Bogdan, and uh, Gallo. When you get two, two of those guys on the court together, they're just a really good team, like above a, a five-net rating with any of those two, basically. Uh, and since McMillan has come on, they've been a top-10 team. They've hovered around the top-10 in both offense and defense. And the Knicks, like you look at their advanced numbers, and, and most of their best work comes with Derek Rose and Taj Gibson and Emmanuel quickly on the court. I just don't trust that Derek as much as I trust. Derek really well, man. He is good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how. Good. I don't understand it at all. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. That's how it's happening. But I, there were a couple of close games where the Knicks were, uh, were were in it late in overtime, and I was like, get the ball in Derek Rose's hands, period. Like, if he's, <laughs> you know, he, get him in Derek Rose's hands. Um, but I guess – Ultimately, they throw you an institution a couple of years. I, ago I can't take it. I can't take a side in this series before the series. Um, if I had to, I would take Knicks only because I think home teams are going to be the right plays in every game. Um, you have so many young players, so much playoff inexperience, uh, and the you know just the general kind of um, the way I think home court is going to matter. Matt is going to be for this exact type of series with all these young and experienced players more so than a series like. Denver Portland where those guys have those guys have played in some big playoff games you know like they're not going to be especially shook uh you know by all the sudden crowd noise is is you know is is a big part of it um and I guess as we pivot to that series specifically uh it sounded like you were making a pretty decent case for Portland um being a bad matchup for the Nuggets and we share or at least I I'm uh, I'm invested in that thesis in general. Um, I would have told you that, uh, you know, were they perfectly healthy? Were Jamal Murray available? Even Will Barton to that, you know, for that matter, then this is, uh, you know, this is wrong, wrong team favorite as I'm looking at the current kind of market numbers here. Um, but with the way that the Portland Trailblazers have played of late, 
Um, and the fact that you have, um, I mean, at any given time, you have the four best, you know, the four next best players on the court after the MVP in Jokic. Um, it's to me, at least it, this looks like a, a pretty solid opportunity for Portland. Um, maybe the best they could have hoped for in terms of their playoff matchup. Um, any, I guess can, it, it almost feels like it's not, it's not the nuggets here. No Jamal Murray. We got Jokic and MVP. Let's, you know, let's run it back next year. We'll, we'll be healthier. We'll be better. That'll be our shot. And, you know, they're going to be contenders for years to come. So I can kind of understand that there's a little less urgency for the Nuggets in this series and in this playoffs. Um, do you, I guess, do you get a, is there any hope for, you know, your Nuggets fan, fr friends and fans out there in Denver or are they just locked in on Avalanche? Uh, no, there's still belief in the Nuggets. I think that just because, you know, to avoid the LA teams in round one, Portland, their, their underlying numbers are great, but they haven't really pieced it all together. They're not as on the surface intimidating um, as some of the other teams in the West. So they do, I think on the streets of Denver, certainly they feel beatable. Uh, the guard uh, mismatch is concerning for the Nuggets. <laughs> with, uh, Monty Morris and uh, Facundo Campazzo against Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum. That's a concern. I think the big thing is just Nurkic. Like Nurkic is the second best player on the Blazers. Um, he's definitely their second most important. And they're just a different defense with him on the court. They're a tire fire with, without him. And then when he comes on the court, they, they turn immediately into a top five uh, level defense. And I don't, like five man units that's too much because there's always well there's generally a small sample and there's a lot of noise uh and maybe they played a lot of minutes against uh okc when okc would you know trialing pokusevsky or whatever mm. but at the same time that five man lineup for portland um with with dame cj Powell, covington and nurkic they play at a rate that's the best offense and best defense in the league uh, and that is going to give Denver a lot of trouble. I think what Denver has to rely on is they have home court and they have a significant home court advantage uh, with the altitude, and they have Jokic, uh, who is the best player in the series. And when you have the best player and you have home court, and it's not like there's absolutely nothing behind him either. There is <laughs> MPJ uh, and Aaron Gordon, and then, yeah, not too much after that, but there is still some scoring power with MPJ, but he's going to have to have a big series, and he's going to have to be one of the next four best players in the series if they're going to be able to, to make this something. Um, but I think the other thing, too, is just having game seven at home. Okay. And if you're not confident in Portland, you know, covering a, a minus one and a half series handicap, then the balance shifts to Denver. Yeah, I feel like I, if, I was just gonna say that's what yeah. Noops, uh, my my co-host on the my Daily Show there, he played that. He just said, but I don't think it goes seven. If they if if it goes yeah. seven, that's not good. And I'd I'd rather just play. I think he got minus one and a half at like plus one ninety. Yeah. Said I'd much rather play I'm that than any that sort too. of series price. Yeah. 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 And and I I took plus. I took minus one and a half and minus two and a half just because I, if, if, you know, these are, these are coin flips game one and two in Denver. And if the ball bounces in the, in the direction of uh, Portland in game one and game two, I, this is not a long series. Uh, no. they, they'll really only need one of those two, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's probably right where you know, if Portland split, obviously they'll become favorites because then they'll have home court. One thing I would say though, is that, you know, this this was an interesting series two years ago where oh, yeah. 
And this is something that gets into, you know, bookmaking and how we price series where like we probably don't look as much at the individual matchup and how the players match up on the court as much as we just look at the quality of the team. Because two years ago, the big story behind this series was this is Jokic's first run in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat San Antonio in round one, but that wasn't a good San Antonio team. They were a total surprise two seed. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then they get to Portland, and the whole story is uh, Jokic won't be able to guard Dame Lillard on the perimeter <laughs> on switches. I remember and that, yes. that was the whole series. And Lillard, I think he shot 39% for the series. And he had a really bad series, and he shot, I think, three of 17 in game seven, and they won it anyway. And it just wasn't relevant because I think yeah. Lillard was hurt and he was gassed. And there are so many other factors that come into play beyond, you know, one matchup that may eventuate in one team's favour. But at the same time, like I think the underlying quality of these two teams, Portland now with Nurkic and Powell, they they have the edge there. So it's just really relying on home court. Let's not forget Portland played a lot of Enos Cantor in that series because Nurkic was hurt. <laughs> I don't want to see much Enos Cantor in this series, by the way. If there's a lot of Enos Cantor minutes, I'm going to be feeling, I'm going to, I'm going to be sweating. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> the, that, that series had one of the single best playoff games of the last uh, five years. That, game uh, four? I yeah. think three or four. It was in, uh, in Portland, went four overtimes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, off the top of your head, how many minutes did uh, Jokic play in that game? You played 60? Play sixty four. Sixty basically played two games. <laughs> he played was, two games. That was before he lost all the weight as well. It was. Yeah, was I was really gonna beautiful. say he just gets carrying. That's gonna be his knees had to be iced for a day. Yeah, <laughs> two, other X, awful. two other X factors that got me on Portland, and this is really the only significant position I took so far in the playoffs. To be honest, um, the um, the fact that the fact that Jokic just played as much as he had this year. Is a is a concern if this goes long, if this turns into a grind. Um, he had he led the at pretty sure he led the NBA in minutes, and I don't think it was close. Uh he was out there every night playing a full load, and uh that's gotta have an impact at some point, especially if he is the guy carrying the offense in this series. Um, and then the other X factor, I'm not buying MPJ just yet um his (laughs) offense is too one-dimensional man like you go the deeper you get into the series you brought up the switching and and the defensive adjustments that you know coaches generally go to i feel like we saw mpj fade into irrelevance last year in the playoffs largely because teams figured out oh this guy's not going to pass like he can't make the pass he can't find the open guy he he's not going to create for anyone but himself so you know you can kind of key on him and say okay well we'll we'll put our best defender on him and or we'll double him every time he has the ball because we know he's you know he's not going to make the right decision he's just going to try to force up a shot right and then if he's a defensive liability on the other hand other side and he's defensible on you know on offense then he's just not going to see as many minutes you know and I I worry if you're leaning too hard on that if you're the Nuggets in this series, um, because I do think you know if I if I were to say well what is his um, you know what is his impact you know player impact or his, his just even just his points as the series goes on it's going to be you know it's going to it's going to mm-hmm. tail tail off as we go deeper into this thing if it even becomes a deep series but that's again my opinion. MPJ, you oh, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, is there a rebuttal on MPJ? Yeah, MPJ, uh, yeah, he. 
he fits. You have to defend him a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a hometown guy now. He's um, He fits really well on the full strength conception of this team where if you've got Jamal Murray and, say, a, a Danny Green type at two and then Gordon MPJ Jokic and MPJ can be more of the, uh, the famed Olympic Carmelo kind of role where he's just kind of... You know, he's, sh- he's shooting wide open and he's driving off closeouts and he's playing that role, then I think he's perfect. Uh, and he can be, a, you know, an efficient 20-plus game, 20-plus point-a-game scorer. But now he's going to have the ball in his hands and what do they do when Jokic is off the court and MPJ, when he's running, like he's just not there yet in terms of running an offense. Uh, and so that that would be the concern. Yeah, I think ultimately that this, Den- this Nuggets team, I, I mean, again, I'm hopeful <laughs> that they flame out in this playoffs and that the market is a little little soft on them next year because um, this they have the bones of being like a legit contender um, next year in the playoffs, especially as LeBron gets older and who the hell knows what happens with the Clippers where they're at. Um, but yeah, it's a it it's it's an exciting future, and I think of him, I think highly of him as a future prospect, but just not in this series yeah. uh, with this team. Yeah. You you brought up the uh, you know the series price. You played the series handicap. We talked about series prices earlier. It made me think, and Drew has some questions in it as well about the Jazz as far as the future. Are you taking much action on futures right now to like to win to win the conference to win the title? And if you are taking that, are you just pretty happy that you are because you're pretty happy with your numbers, or, happy, or at least yeah. happy happy with your where you've placed yourself with risk? concerning other futures you already have from we're pretty happy with where we sit on that i mean we're lucky that we're in the new york new jersey market so we've taken a lot of nick's money um for futures which is which is nice and then a lot of money on brooklyn as well but the price is so short um there that we're okay with that um for us now the, the best result would actually be um a team like the lakers winning the title where people have just been so scared off of that price being so short despite, you know, all the turmoil. Um, so that's where we sit at the moment. There's there's not been too much of a dive in for the Jazz and the Suns despite them being the top two seeds. I think there's just the the fear that the uh, the LA monsters are kind of looming in the background will take them down once those matchups eventuate. Uh, but, yeah, most of the money we've taken has been on the long shots on on teams like the Knicks and then the Hawks as well, uh, where and I get it because they have the easier side of the bracket. They're playing each other. You'd probably rather play Philly round two than Brooklyn or Milwaukee, uh, and then they get the path. But at the same time, like so much has to go right for the Knicks or the Hawks to make the finals. Well, <laughs> does it? I guess yeah. Getting getting past getting getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, like you just you're just one Embiid misstep away. Sure. Um, but uh, getting past the Bucks or the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals is that 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 has like Warriors Blazers Western Conference Finals written written all. That's over. a big ask. <laughs> um, or yeah, yeah. The um, I guess the uh, looking uh, specifically at uh, a couple of potential prices. Um, what would you ex- you mentioned what you would expect for Lakers Suns if that's what we see? Um, I personally think the Clippers make quick work of the Mavs. I don't love the way the Mavs are playing right now. I don't think they match up as well as they did even last year. And last year they felt lucky to get two games against this team. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and pencil the Clippers into round two. I think the um, 
you know, the Jazz Warriors number, I'm hopeful it's bettable for the Jazz because I love the way they match up against the Warriors. And I'm hopeful that the market is a little too high on the Warriors. And I'm, you know, just based on some of the just based on some of the prices I've seen for games lately, I feel like the market is a little high on the Warriors. So um, hopefully the market is asleep on the Jazz and I get a good bet there. But let's let's talk Jazz Clippers in then Western Conference semis. Um, do you have a sense of who the favorite's going to be? I think it'll be the Clippers. I think the Clippers will be favored in that series. Very slight. Uh, in speaking to the team, we thought that the price would be around Clippers minus 130, but there's more room to move on the Jazz side of that with Mitchell. And if he comes back and is completely healthy, then that series would gravitate a bit more towards pick. But I think the Clippers will be favored so long as their main guys are healthy. Um, they'll, they'll be favored in that series. Okay. Do you know about uh, if everybody's healthy for the Lakers, what a Lakers-Clippers Western Conference Finals might look like? Yeah, so that's the interesting one where there's like, either team could be favored and it could get to the point where the Lakers are uh, you know, reasonably significant favorites if everything breaks right. I think the Lakers' ceiling is probably around minus 150 as a favorite. And then the thing with the Lakers as well, because they've gotten into the easier side of the bracket, you know, assuming they beat Golden State, there's a chance they could make the Western Conference Finals with LeBron still not being 100% right. And if that's the case, and if he's, you know, limping around as yeah. they beat Phoenix in seven, then I think the Clippers would be favoured against the Lakers, very narrowly, but favoured. But yeah, I would expect that the average price in that series would be, because if the Lakers do get to the Western Conference Finals, it probably implies some degree of health. Uh, and so I think it would be that minus 130, minus 140 range, Lakers favored. I get that. Um, the I guess it wouldn't shock you probably if you woke up someday during this uh, <clears throat> during this playoffs and all of a sudden the Lakers were the same price they were in like February. Plus, that implies like, he's like, yeah. That that implies doing... he's gonna sleep during. The <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I kind because I kind of feel like that like like that is the risk of writing tickets for Lakers at any price right now is that if they're healthy, we know what the price should be. It should be around two to one to win the title. <laughs> like, yeah. that, like that, like we saw this team and how good they were early this season. Um, and I'm not sure how anything has changed if these guys are healthy. So uh, fascinating, uh, you know, fascinating general um, concept there. Uh, one more price. I'm just curious. Um, what would you make? You know, let's get to the finals. Uh, what, we, what do you make um, uh, Joe Ingles uh, MVP, finals MVP? <laughs> Three to one? No, I think uh, <laughs> Joe Ingles finals MVP, that would be pretty low. Even We're in the 500 to one range there. He's lost a lot of steam lately. Okay. So, so after staking all of this, uh, you know, this uh, social capital on Ingles will be sixth man of the year and him winning the award. You're going to give the betters a chance to take home finals MVP at 500 to one. That seems like a fair play to me. Um, be magical. Be truly yeah. magical. And give an extra kind of dimension to all the Joe Ingles jerseys I've got in the shopping cart waiting to pull the trigger on uh, if he comes home with the, uh, the sixth man. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I do have one. A series. That was a silly question, but I have a <laughs> final serious question for you, which is, um, if you if the Nets get to the finals, which let's just assume because it's pretty seems yeah. seems pretty fair. Um, what is the optimal matchup 
from the West that gives us kind of the biggest the kind of entertainment as you know, we want to, we want to, we want a seven game finals, man. Uh, is it, uh, is, you know, is it Lakers nets or do you think that there's potentially a more entertaining matchup? Uh, it's Lakers nets and that, that series, if the Lakers are full strength against the nets, that series will be very close to pick. Pick, and the next pick, will be pick. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the home home course yeah. pick minus two minus two minus two yeah, yeah. yeah. that would uh, be cool. in terms of just talent matchup that might be the best that we've well I mean LeBron's a bit older but um, that might be as good as we've gotten um, I'd feel better about the Lakers if they didn't have Drummond um, where they might He's in starting a way, tonight what is going yeah. on why are we doing oh, this. Might make the Lakers favorite if uh, if Drummond uh, gets injured, but uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I think that, and also I think Clippers Clippers Nets would be immense as well, and the Nets would be favorite in that series, but but it'd be close. And if the Clippers get there by beating the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, then that would be pretty appetizing. But for that big three of the Nets to go up against LeBron and AD, uh, that would be pretty special, I think. I dig that. That's a that's 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 good to look forward to. I think yeah, it's all you can, even if you're not betting a bunch of this or it's super involved in futures. It's all you can ask for. Is give me give me an LA team versus. I mean, even if it's the Sixers, Nets or I take Nets or Sixers. Those would both be really good. Obviously, the Nets super team, all the big stars would be great. But I I'd take the Sixers versus an LA team. I think we I think we're. I just don't want to see like the Suns in the finals or something stupid. You don't want Chris Paul to finally get a ring, man? What's up no, with you? No. You, you don't like Chris Paul? I, I do not like him. <laughs> I didn't care for the commercials. I don't know. He's, he's, he's very wow. vanilla. <laughs> yeah, and he comes out as a Chris Paul hater. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so you hate Chris Paul and Cliff Paul. This is news, man. Uh, breaking news here. All right, well, let's wrap it up here. This was an incredibly fun podcast, and yes. um, uh, I learned a lot, as always. Appreciate all the insight and your willingness to kind of give us a glimpse behind uh, the curtain um, anything that you have especially cool coming up that people should, uh, you know, follow you and check out? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of, you know, promotional markets during the, the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs. One thing we're doing at the moment is we're offering uh, no juice spread lines in Colorado, Michigan, and Illinois. Um, so we're completely taking the juice out there. Um, and then we're offering, we're looking to offer kind of reduced prices as well in, in all jurisdictions to varying degrees. So we uh, we try to offer the best odds. Um, and so that's what we're doing. What's the, what, so what would be the theoretical hold on a market like that? Well, it's zero. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. gave and, and hope see, It seems low. I like yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, that's on the spread. So hopefully we'll win money on the kind of total and money line and elsewhere. Um, but yeah, as kind of an acquisition push, um, we've gone no juice in those jurisdictions on on the spread. Uh, you know what? Bad job by me. I should have freaking led with that. My God, <laughs> uh, that is a great promotion, man. Uh, good yeah. on you guys. Uh, what, what what states was it again? Colorado, Michigan, and, and Illinois. Maine? Illinois. Yep, those three. Yeah. Yeah. Why not Iowa? <laughs> Just the yeah, where, where are you guys now? We're also in Iowa, New Jersey, and Indiana, with uh, hopefully a few more to come. And we'll look to give, uh, you know, to balance out and kind of build some promotional markets for for those jurisdictions as well. But we've just started off um, with with these three. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, cool. I appreciate uh, again. Appreciate all the information today, and I uh, look forward to talking to you on um, the points bet bet the edge. 
uh, collaboration that we're going to do on Fridays going forward. So, um, you know, keep up the good work. Yeah, awesome. appreciate the time, man. Thanks, guys. That was fun. All right, take care. Oh, we keep forgetting to change the song. You two yeah, good this, guests again? Ah, uh, you know, I'll we'll have super producer Dan work on that. Okay. Yeah, we got to clean up the whole banner situation over here in general. <laughs> oh yeah, no, like all, all that's getting. We're just further down the line getting this stuff fixed up. Oh, I just my wife just sent me a thing. Rochester's getting a Popeyes. <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten there once.